welcome to a new series of pensions podcasts from the Stevenson Harwood Pensions team. You can subscribe and listen again on iTunes, Stitcher and SoundCloud or by visiting our website at www.shlegal.com. We will be issuing monthly podcasts as an alternative way of getting the information from our pension snapshot. I'm Graham Wrightson, a partner in the pensions team, and I have with me Philip Goodchild, another partner in the team. Today we're going to talk about some of the key pensions law developments up to the end of January 2018. Firstly, Philip, the High Court handed down its judgment in the BT case in January. Could you summarise the key points from their judgment? Thanks, Graham. Yeah, this is a case um, taken uh, for the representative beneficiary team by our fellow partner, Helena Berman. BT brought an action to seek a declaration that the wording in a set of rules for its pension scheme would allow it to move away from RPI, the Retail Prices Index, as the measure for uprating pensions. The relevant wording under consideration required that RPI had become, in quotes, inappropriate, close quotes, for these purposes. And another set of scheme rules provided that uh, in order for RPI to be moved away from, that index ought to have been amended such that it became invalid. The court held that RPI had not become inappropriate for the purposes of uprating pensions under the BT pension scheme. Various factors were considered, such as changes in the composition of RPI and the more widespread use of CPI, the Consumer Prices Index, as an alternative to RPI. None of these factors were enough for the court to hold that RPI had become inappropriate or amended such that it had become invalid. The case is one of a number of cases focusing on schemes seeking to move from RPI to CPI, and is another example of the rules lottery which schemes find themselves subject to when it comes to pension increase wording, with the peculiarities of the scheme's particular wording dictating whether or not such a change can be made. And we can't let the occasion pass without mentioning that Stevenson Harwood acted for the Rep Ben in this case. Thanks, Philip. So January also saw the launch of a consultation on new standards for professional trustees of occupational pension schemes. The consultation has been launched by the Professional Trustee Standards Working Group, and proposes a series of new standards intended to improve the quality of professional trustees and eliminate poor practices from the market. The proposed standards cover the following areas. Fitness and propriety, integrity, expertise and care, impartiality and conflicts of interest, professional behaviour, systems and controls. There are also additional standards for professional trustees who act as chairs of trustee boards and or have sole trustee appointments. It's proposed that the standards will apply to anyone falling within the pension regulator's description of a professional trustee as set out in its August 2017 policy document and the regulator will consider compliance with them as an indicator of fitness and propriety. The standards will be applied on a comply or explain basis whereby professional trustees will be expected to describe how they meet each of the standards or explain why they've not done so. It's likely that most existing professional trustees are broadly speaking already compliant with the new standards so demonstrating compliance is unlikely to be an onerous exercise. From an employer and trustee perspective, the standards should prove useful in helping to clarify what they can expect from a professional trustee. The consultation closes on 2nd of March 2018, and the final standards are expected to be published and come into effect in April or May of this year. In addition, PTSWG is also developing an accreditation framework which professional trustees will be expected to achieve. Again, details are expected to be published later this year. Thanks, Graham. Turning to some new legislative developments, on 30 January, new regulations came into force which amend the requirements for pension schemes to make reports to HMRC. The Registered Pension Schemes and Overseas Pension Schemes Miscellaneous Amendments Regulations 2018 have made two key changes. Firstly, ceasing to be a master trust is now what's known as a reportable event. 
With effect from the tax year 2018-19, a scheme will now need to make an event report when it ceases to be a master trust scheme, where this is defined in the uh, legislation. Where a registered pension scheme ceases to be a master trust scheme, the scheme administrator will now have to provide an event report to HMRC confirming that the scheme has ceased to be a master trust scheme and the date when this occurred. The government has explained that its intention in introducing this change is to align the tax registration processes with the regulator's authorisation and supervision regime for master trust schemes. The second change introduced on 30 January is that reporting requirements have been amended to reflect the reduction in the level of money purchase annual allowance from £10,000 to £4,000 with effect from 6 April 2017. Regulations currently provide that a scheme administrator must provide a member with a statement when he or she may be first flexibly accessing his or her pension rights. The amendments made to the regime made minor changes to that provision insofar as to reflect the reduction in the money purchase annual allowance from £10,000 to £4,000. These changes took retrospective effect from the tax year 2017-18. And finally in this month's podcast, the Board of the Pension Protection Fund has issued new versions of all its standard form contingent asset arrangements and has overhauled its contingent asset guidance. By way of background... Contingent asset arrangements provide a pension scheme with assets where certain events occur, such as an insolvency event in respect of the scheme's employer. Subject to meeting a number of conditions, the PPF will take account of a contingent asset when it calculates a scheme's risk-based levy, potentially resulting in a reduction in that levy. Among other conditions for PPF recognition, a contingent asset arrangement must be in the PPF standard form, and various certifications need to be given by the pension scheme's trustees to the PPF, both at inception and annually thereafter normally before the end of March each year. Any new contingent asset being entered into on or after 18 January 2018 must use the updated versions issued in January 2018. Contingent asset arrangements which have been executed under an appropriate earlier PPF standard form document can be recertified as normal for the 2018-19 levy year. However, for the 2019-20 levy year, the PPF anticipate that they will not recognise pre-January 2018 style standard form type A and type B arrangements with a fixed as opposed to floating cap element. Schemes with those older documents would need to adopt the new standard form arrangement for the PPF for it to be taken into account for levy purposes. This will be a more involved process and the PPF recommends that schemes affected by this development plan ahead for it. In addition to the above changes, from 2018-19, as part of certifying or recertifying any Type A contingent asset that provides a levy reduction of £100,000 or more, the trustees will need to obtain a formal guarantor strength report from a professional advisor. Finally, the PPF has also made some changes to the certification process for Type A guarantees, where there's more than one guarantor. Well, thanks for that, Graham, and thanks everyone for listening. Don't forget, you can listen again and subscribe to the series on iTunes, Stitcher or SoundCloud or on the Stevenson Harwood website. Mm-hmm.